Welcome to the Regenerate Podcast, exploring the regenerative movement in all aspects of life to revitalize, restore, and re-energize for a better world. I'm your host, Jenna. So stoked to have you here. Let's regenerate together. All right, we are live with another episode of the Regenerate Podcast. I am super excited to welcome Ronnie Leck to the show today. Um, as you heard, I gave a little bit of a background um, on his experience and, and what he's working toward, but um, welcome Ronnie to the show. Okay. Go ahead. So I'm uh, Ronnie Leck, a Maya Kachiken from, uh, originally from Guatemala in currently living here in, uh, in Ontario, Canada. And uh, well, thanks Jen for uh, the opportunity to share the story, my story with you. And well, hopefully, you know, this can also contribute to the uh, regenerative uh, agriculture movement and the agroecological movement and all these uh, movements that are uh, trying to to um, look for alternative solutions to the the way that we are producing our food today. So yeah, so I'm originally I'm from uh, Guatemala where I I, I worked in the Mesoamerica. Permaculture Institute uh, mainly in, um, in my work was uh, based on uh, traditional Mayan uh, agriculture uh, in trying to uh, basically revive some of the, the practices and principles uh, behind uh, traditional agriculture. And this started, you know, like uh, a long time ago, maybe 25 years ago, in trying to look for solutions to reconstruct the country too after um, uh, armed struggle of uh, 30 years, armed struggle that basically devastated the the, the country and, and, uh, and disarticulated all the uh, social uh, community uh, in, in, in the country, you know, that's still until today, still, you know, uh, consequences. And, uh, and my idea was to, after being in uh, a exile with my family for, for a few years uh, in the States, so uh, then we, we came back uh, once a peace accord is starting to um, to uh, be negotiated, and uh, and we thought there was going to be a, a, a safe um, a time for us to to return. Uh, and my family has been pushed away by the violence uh, because they were involved in uh, in uh, basically just doing social work you know social cooperative work uh, which at that time was considered subversive and communist and, you know and this was in a context of the cold war where there was uh, uh, a supposedly a division between communism and the democratic uh, government so that uh, basically the uh, also my father was involved with the cooperatives and trying to form cooperatives uh, in the in the country in in uh, especially agricultural cooperatives and um, and all of that work was considered you know uh, not in favor of the government so uh, in then we returned in uh, 1994 uh, with the idea of uh, of working and contributing to the to the the reconstruction of the of the country and uh, and after consulting with 
different uh, members of the community and, uh, and, and especially uh, indigenous uh, people who have been through the university is I myself went to get an anthropology degree in, uh, in, uh, but I didn't want to work in anthropology as just an academic, but uh, is doing applied research, doing research to be applied. And that was my idea to, uh, to use that education that I had. So I did that by consulting the community in, in uh, asking where would it be the most important area of, of, of work that where it needs to be, where we can contribute or where we could contribute the most and uh, where is more critical. And uh, in all the community basically a consultation led to saying agriculture. Agriculture, we are an agriculture land-based culture. So if we can't, you know, we can't, if we don't have land, if we can't, if we don't have seeds, and if we lose our knowledge of how to work the, the land and the seeds, you know, we will basically lose our culture and, uh, and, and therefore agriculture has to be the most critical uh, and important uh, work. <clears throat> uh, since the, our farmers were adapting very quickly to modern agriculture. And when I talk about modern agriculture, basically I'm referring to the agrochemicals and the hybrid seeds and basically export uh, commodities. <clears throat> so that's the modern agriculture, you know, the the the, bay, uh, the uh, monoculture uh, products based on uh, export and based on chemicals and agrochemicals. So and that was very uh, enticing to the farmers since also was promoted by universities, by the government, by NGOs, and, and of course, by the same companies, two of the chemical companies. So which at the beginning, they would be giving for free or very cheap, you know, in order for farmers to, to become, you know, uh, addicted basically to these uh, chemicals. So uh, we were seeing that uh, uh, very rapidly uh, in our communities adapting to these uh, modern ways and, and forgetting about our traditional ways, our, our traditional uh, seeds and foods. And, and so that basically was uh, threatening the food uh, not only security, but a food sovereignty of our, our community. Uh, so therefore, that's where my, my journey started uh, in agriculture, even though I come from also agriculture uh, family, but once you, I, you go through the school system, <laughs> you kind of uh, get uh, taken that away from you. So I restarted again my whole uh, journey in agriculture by exploring also other alternative ways because uh, we realized too that not all traditional ways could be uh, sustainable uh, since the the uh, the uh, context in which we live was uh, different. So, uh, but there was still lots of knowledge, lots of seeds still that could be uh, incorporated into this agriculture, but still needed to be a, a complement 
by other ways. So we started to exploring and other um, uh, um, organic agriculture and natural agriculture, biological agriculture, uh, biodynamics or biointensive, etc., uh, etc. Et <laughs> and so I came into permaculture, and um, and then I ran into permaculture design system, uh, and I thought that that was exactly what we needed, and uh, is is some uh, uh, not only method but way of doing agriculture based on a traditional agriculture uh, models uh, based on uh, nature, you know, and also incorporating a new knowledge, you know. So those three, three uh, basis of permaculture was uh, the, what, I thought it was the exactly what we we needed, you know, something that could uh, integrate all these three uh, uh, key elements, you know, uh, traditional knowledge, local knowledge, uh, um, nature knowledge, nature-based uh, knowledge, and uh, and then also uh, new knowledge too, because it's something that we are still constructing and developing according to our own situation and context. Right. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, and like I said, the, the first thing was, uh, my work was, uh, is doing research was to, to apply it, like I said. So we, we obtained a piece of land that was uh, abandoned. That's why we were able to obtain it, <laughs> but flooded. It. And, uh, and we needed to, uh, eh, eh, so we wanted to, what I wanted to do there was to construct a system that is called the Chinampa system. And the Chinampa system basically eh, was the main agriculture technique of growing food not only in Mesoamerica, but throughout the Americas. And basically were channels or artificial uh, islands or raised beds, you know, surrounded by, by water. And, um, and there was this one way to build fertility is in the water, building muck, you know, very fertile muck in the water and, and basically harvesting that every year, you know, to build your, your, your beds, that you will be building your beds or your islands or growing islands, you know. So we, um, uh, we knew that that, that was uh, the main ways that the ancient Mayan Aztecs grew, but according to the textbooks, but the, in the textbooks, they never said how to build one, no? <laughs> and, uh, and so that was our, our mission to build one, and we did. And, uh, and it didn't quite work because with water, not only a, there was two or three meters of water, but also sediment. Uh, this was the lowest point in town, and the town it was in a valley uh, surrounded by mountains that eroded all this topsoil and was ended up in this place. So we were talking about 400 tons of, of soil or sediment uh, in, uh, every year that would come through this. And, uh, so basically the system got plugged very quickly, you know, and, uh, and, and then once we discovered the permaculture, basically taught us that the question to ask would be, how does nature do it? 
you know, so how does how is it how is that a river doesn't uh, you know neatly separates the sediments, you know, into into piles of sand or banks of sand or rocks, gravel, uh, mud, leaves, and uh, so how does that you know nature do that? And uh, so basically by that is, is you know, it, it, we change all our uh, perspective on how to, to do agriculture again and how to, to think about agriculture, you know? And then it also made more sense to, to, to us about a traditional and ancient agriculture we learn we learn more about it by learning these permaculture principles, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then made uh, a lot more, more uh, sense. Uh, so basically the, the way that the river does it is by not going in a straight line, you know, but by following a, a serpentine uh, or spiral, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, how do you call it? a pattern, you know? And so by following natural patterns is, is that we were able to make a system that still function there with very little maintenance uh, after 25 years that mm -hmm. we, built it. So there then is where we kind of like uh, brought together traditional ancient uh, agriculture with permaculture. And, uh, and, uh, and in, the, in the year two, 2000, and, and, uh, 2000 uh, we founded the Mesoamerican Permaculture Institute with the with the idea to have a education center, education center based on on, on, on teaching that a, a new knowledge that was a permaculture in in a, a, a traditional ancestral Mayan knowledge. In um, so we we got a. a a small plot of land in where we can demonstrate a different systems and different plants, but it also we have a, 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 a training center, basically with dormitories in, 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 a, in a kitchen, uh, which at the beginning was only for farmers in, in indigenous farmers, uh, but then we realized that uh, indigenous farmers uh, were very old, were getting very old very fast, and that young people were not getting involved in, in agriculture. So our focus uh, changed, and we started to to work with more with the with the youth, but with the with the schools, with the technicians, you know, and we started to be more uh, open to to other groups, you know, and then in the last uh, maybe uh, uh, in the last uh, eight years. Uh, we extended that program to the uh, international community, uh, especially universities and uh, uh, organized groups that would come and learn more uh, about uh, not just about agriculture, but also about ecology, about, about the social political uh, uh, of the of the region 
in, in the people in, in Guatemala and in Mesoamerica. So, so IMAP is the Mesoamerican Permaculture Institute and that's a, a still being a running and uh, it has basically four uh, work areas in uh, in the number one was a, a, a seed community seed banking in uh, in seed saving tradition native seeds in uh, in native foods so in how to teach uh, communities how to get started with a, a seed bank. So that basically that program led to the um, to the foundation of other uh, at least other three or four seed banks in the country. And uh, there is no one seed bank can supply orca. Uh, so since Mesoamerica is so diverse, we have a uh, we are one of the major uh, uh, diverse uh, places in on, on Earth. Uh, not only of of uh, wild species, but domesticated and agricultural uh, uh, species. Uh, so. Uh, Therefore, it's, the idea was to encourage community work in the area and trying to save their seeds since uh, modern agriculture too uh, has pushed their seeds as part of the package with uh, a hybrid seeds and, and more recently with the uh, genetically modified uh, as well. So that has uh, helped to basically erode all the uh, seed diversity uh, traditional in the region, but all over the, the world. And um, and uh, of course, farmers get get more encouraged with uh, these new seeds because also those are the seeds or the products that have a market for uh, whereas native foods there is no market or no value for for them, you know. So that's one of the the attractions for farmers to the native seeds. So this program uh, basically uh, uh, not only helps other people to to other communities to sow their seeds, but also uh, uh, buys, sells, uh, trades uh, seeds, you know, or, or, or from from all over the, the the country, you know, not all the region because of the laws of phytosanitary laws, we cannot. Uh, send uh, seeds very easily across uh, borders, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so the other program is the education program. And this is education program is the training, the certification courses, uh, the educational tours, and the, yeah, all the educational programs that they offered uh, to different groups and schools uh, and NGOs, not only in the country, but international, like I mentioned uh, before. Uh, so that also probably brings about a, a, a thousand maybe people every, every year. Uh, and that also generates a employment to the local community. We IMAP is located in a smallest community of the region. So uh, because it's small, it's also marginalized and, and forgotten. 
So with these activities also generate employment to the, to the community. Like they are the ones who produce and, and cook all the meals for all these people who come in, in, in the center, you know. Uh, and also uh, then we have uh, uh, the third program that is called the Food the Sovereignty Program. And food sovereignty program basically is uh, basically to reindicate agriculture, to reindicate traditional uh, knowledge uh, in uh, traditional foods, and in um, trying to yeah uh, uh, how to to yeah to encourage all of this you know. In, in all the different levels in schools uh, and also in the population in general by in one of the uh, ways is by um, uh, by making products uh, value added products with native foods uh, such as uh, almond or chia seeds, for example. So uh, amaranth is one of the uh, best foods that we have, uh, and it's something that is forgotten or or, and, or that people don't use it anymore. And uh, so by uh, making different products and offering that into the into the uh, local communities uh, is that we are trying to encourage the introduction of these plants, you know, by showing them, okay, you can do all of these uh, products with it, you know, and it can be innovated or can be uh, a, a ancient recipe, you know, but it's something that is already uh, elaborated, you know, already made. And, uh, and so that's, a, that's in also like high nutritional value plants especially uh, in in uh, in that is now being offered in the local markets you know and yeah. uh, it's a way to to encourage this food you know so those are like the three programs that emap that i worked with emap in the past uh, 25 years you know uh, in a uh, and, and now I'm, I'm currently living here in, uh, uh, in Ontario. Yes. Wow. What a journey. And I, you know, I have a couple questions for you um, in regard to, you know, modern agriculture, but you just spoke to, um, you know, the nutritional density of some of the, the foods and, you know, different products you can make. And one, um, I heard you spoke about this before, um, where there used to be, I guess, a more local drink, um, and it was, you know, highly nutritious and, you know, it was great for kids and how that's now been shifted and, and, uh, you know, manipulated is perhaps the right word into a more GMO dominated, um, drink. And it's now being used in schools, um, I believe that's something that you've spoken about before, where, again, where the modern agriculture is really kind of taking over a lot of, yeah, this kind of native um, knowledge and, and native foods that are actually meant to, um, or are really good for the body. So we'd love for you to kind of share that. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> yes. So my personal passion is with native, uh, native foods and native uh, seeds and, and because uh, native foods and seeds it's it's kind of, kind of like the combination of, of a culture yeah we can culture is all the expressions of culture uh, summarized in in a, in a meal in the table you know so food is is the most important thing uh, that we forgotten in modern times, we have forgotten that the foundation of civilization is agriculture. There is a culture thanks to agriculture, you know, 
and uh, the civilization came about once we were able to produce our own food, you know, once we domesticated foods, once agriculture emerged, then the cultures, the different cultures starting to emerge as well. And we can see also that once we fail with our agriculture system, also the civilizations perish with, with, with it, you know, and the, and the most, uh, well, we can see throughout the world, these examples of, of civilizations who have collapsed, uh, including the, the, the Maya, uh, and, and that is because of, of, of uh, basically not maintaining a sustainable agriculture, a regenerative agriculture, you know, and uh, once uh, the pressure is on the land, then the the civilization it's 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 a doom you know so there is no well like like the saints there is no soil no civilization with no soil you know and um, so uh, seeds uh, in the in the uh, in foods uh, was something that also uh, been controlled in a, a, since colonial times was uh, pushed a whole a system of agriculture that the plantation system uh, uh, where of uh, non-native foods like sugar cane number one you know and it was imposed in, 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 in the people and in the landscape. So since colonial times, uh, dramatically agriculture was uh, uh, changed and tried to, uh, to be tra transformed. So always uh, pushed uh, the communities uh, into growing non-native uh, foods and punishing the communities for growing native foods. And the best example would be uh, amaranth. Amaranth in the, uh, was a very important plant because of its nutrition content. It was considered a, a, a very sacred plant as well in a lot of uh, ceremony uh, behind it, which was an excuse for the Spanish to um, to um, forbid it uh, by saying that that was a, a, a religious, you know, that they were not uh, in favor of. And, um, and uh, basically he, he made it illegal and persecuted the communities who, who grew amaranth. So basically the amaranth uh, survived only in the very remote areas of, of Mexico and uh, in the Andes. Uh, and that's where uh, now we are trying to revive this. And now we are trying to understand this, this the importance of this plant and, and why it also has been uh, forbidden you know, because of its potential as a, as a, a nutrition. And, and in fact, in Guatemala, basically the community still use uh, amaranth, but wild amaranth. Uh, and wild amaranth doesn't yield seeds, edible seeds, but it yields edible, <clears throat> edible plants, edible leaves, uh, greens, uh, and which also are super nutritious uh, and but the seeds are even superior than the leaves uh, so the domesticated varieties are for for grain uh, they can still be eaten for leaves but they are made specially for grain so uh, uh, <clears throat> so this is uh, one example of how these uh, plants have been 
persecuted and, and forbidden uh, in, in Mesoamerica and how agriculture has been uh, transformed in, in, um, in, 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 in very drastically, you know, in very drastically. And in the 80s, for example, the, uh, the army in uh, dictatorships basically promoted the, the so-called the non-traditional export crops, which are the mini vegetables and all the vegetables that come to, to the United States and Canada during the winter. And, uh, and that they push it very hard into the highlands uh, and by providing also the chemicals, the seeds in, in the market. And, but then, and then they, in uh, five years after doing that agriculture, the land started to degrade and then I left sterile and then they just leave and move to another community. So you can see where this whole uh, non-traditional agriculture uh, way has been because it's, that's where it has devastated all the lands basically. And the company just doesn't feel responsible for them. They just move on into look for new lands and new communities, you know. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I wanted to speak to that. I mean, for someone that's here in Canada, and as you mentioned, for many people in the United States, we, yeah, we get our fruit and a lot of our produce from, you know, Central America. Definitely, you know, a lot of my bananas come from Guatemala. So, you know, as someone who... Um, wants to, to, you know, engage in a more regenerative food system, you know, what is, I guess, your advice for, for people like, like me and people in the States that, um, yeah, I guess are becoming pretty reliant on um, this non-traditional, this um, modern agriculture that you're speaking of? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's uh, the best thing that we could do is to support our local farmers or to, if we want to be more radical, is to grow our own food, you know, so the more we grow our food, the more we consume uh, locally, uh, then that's the, the less, the, the more pressure we take away from the, from the farmers and from the, the lands in places like, uh, like Mesoamerica. Uh, so that is the importance of, of, of growing and eating locally uh, because uh, otherwise, you know, uh, there is no accountability to all these uh, multinational companies that do uh, agriculture in, in, uh, in, in Central America and, and all over the world, you know. Uh, there is no accountability there. So there is no human rights for the workers, no environmental uh, protection. Uh, in, uh, so all of that, you know, we can contribute by, by, by trying to grow our own food or by consuming locally, locally and by building relationships with the producers too in the in these these countries so yes there is a the whole fair trade uh, but you have to be careful with that too because that has become also just a, a brand and not necessarily a, a, a practice you know that it's really fair <laughs> but it's more a uh, 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 just a, a brand so that by educating yourself and by building relationship where, where your food comes from, it's, it's very important, you know? So that helps too, to, to really know where your, your food comes in, how is it, it produced, you know? So there is, can still be exchange of goods, you know, but, it has to be in, in a more uh, a horizontal way, you know, and the way it is right now, you know, it is not. And, and uh, 
Uh, I come from uh, the heart of the coffee producing area of Central America. And, uh, and farmers get, you know, maybe 14 cents out of that uh, $16 a bag of coffee that you find, you know, uh, or in the store. Oh, no, not from the six or, or $3 cup of coffee that you have, you know, that it's hardly just pennies that goes to the, to, to the, uh, to the farmer, you know? So yeah, from, from the pound of, of coffee, and I don't know how much you pay for your pound of coffee, maybe that goes 14 cents to the farm, to the farmer, you know? Uh, so in that way, it's, it's not, you know, a, it's not just, you know. It's no, not that's just. not fair trade. That's not fair trade. Yeah, well, so, I love that you. Uh, so we have to be aware of that too, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I love that you mentioned relationships because I think that's really, you know, on a global scale, I think that's where, yeah, we need to really go is, is making, you know, really good relationships all around the world and being able to, yeah, still have exchange of, uh, of goods, but in this regenerative model. And so kind of going back to the farmer now, um, you know, what are in, in Central America or, you know, even if you just want to be specific to Guatemala, like what is hindering progress um, or maybe what have you experienced with farmers being able to um, either like kind of grow their own food, start their own farm or move into a regenerative or permaculture approach? Yeah, well, uh, one is that like a permaculture uh, approach and a regenerative approach is long-term and uh, it's a long-term approach, you know, and it's it's about planting trees and, uh, and perennials, you know, and, and that is take all of that takes in investment, you know, and that's what the farmers in Central America don't have is investment. They don't even have the, the, the infrastructure to, to get it to or the social political infrastructure to, to obtain it from. So basically there's no, no support there for the farmers to, to engage in that investment. You know, it's, it's a long-term investment and, and farmers are about what, what am I going to, to feed my family today, you know? Uh, uh, so it's all in a very immediate approach in that, long term you know so that's one of the difficulties is so how to create that support for the farmers and the other one is like i said also is the 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 um the uh, education from the consumers the uh, consumer awareness the the consumer demanding products that are really from the small farmers you know or that are real fair, you know, that like a more horizontal relationships that we're talking about, you know, so because most of the products, organic ecological products in the store now are come from big, big businesses, not from small farms, you know, so that's the awareness and education that has to be from the consumers to, in order to, to be a demand for these products from small farmers, you know. Uh, yeah, and that, and those are the, the two main, you know, uh, things for that hundred for farmers to to engage into into this. Uh, yeah, and the other thing is like, yeah, the how the also really everybody, all the whole culture values and puts agriculture in uh, at the center of its uh, culture and its civilization too, you know, that too is very important to, to have a, a, 
agriculture-based society or civilization. And, uh, and we have, uh, we don't have that. So, uh, so that, that culture, ecological agriculture uh, culture is that we need to build to in order for, for small farmers to have an opportunity to, to become regenerated, you know, in, in long-term approach. Yeah, absolutely. And this is more of a personal question, but, you know, what's one experience that I guess you've had that keeps you motivated um, to kind of keep doing the work you're, you're doing? Like, I feel like you come across so many battles and, you know, maybe share with us the story that really, you know, kind of keeps you going. <laughs> well, I mean, agriculture for me, it has been, it has a been my vehicle for the different stages of my life, you know? And uh, one was a political, one was more a, a cultural and, 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 and uh, yeah, so now I see the working with the land is healing too. You know what I mean? So for me, working with it's 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 a healing, you know. And uh, and for me, that's uh, I want and I need more of that healing. So that's kind of what keeps me motivating is to to uh, to uh, to keep an uh, and healing. You know, and it's a healing that uh, that we all need, but especially us that come from uh, a very uh, a turbulent. It has been uh, many uh, a lot of violence, a lot of uh, a lot of disruption, uh, a lot, uh, and and then it's a healing that is needing to. Uh, that is not there, you know, and, uh, and I think the land, working with the land provides that. And, and that's what keeps me going is, is that the healing power that the land has, you know, and the, and the plants. And, but also uh, the people, you know, knowledge and learn from each other too. That's a, a very uh, uh, a beautiful feeling and, and, and that sharing, uh, not teaching others, but uh, sharing and learning from each other in, in constructing uh, uh, the, the solution together. That also is a, a very, very powerful feeling that keeps one moving and going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Um, so as we uh, wrap up this podcast episode, you know, with both the work you're doing or have been doing with EMAP and, and now you're in Canada, you know, I guess, you know, who are you calling in? Like what sort of partnerships are you are you looking for for today? You know, is it investors? Is it more farmers? Is it students? You know, who who are you calling in right now to really grow this movement that you're that you're so passionate about? Okay, I guess, you know, there is a, a, we were talking about having relationships and building relationships. So one part of my work here in Canada is to have to build network in, uh, in connections with uh, universities in groups who, who would like to learn and, and be more aware of all of these issues that we talked about of, of central and mesoenvironmental in uh, how it's uh, also uh, Canada or North America influenced that and how is it involved with all of that. So yeah, so we're basically looking for to partner to network with all these uh, entities who would like to send groups and would like to come and learn more uh, uh, about these issues in, 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 uh, in Guatemala. Uh, and, uh, 
So that seemed like to bring people from, from Guatemala, from Mesoamerica to share two experiences here as well. You know, uh, and bring and share about Mayan culture, uh, Mayan uh, uh, knowledge, uh, and uh, also bring North Americans to there to try to share their knowledge and experience in, in the different themes of, of uh, regenerative agriculture as well. So how to start a relationship, you know, also in network with uh, not only with uh, farmers, but with uh, educational groups uh, in here in Canada and Guatemala areas. And then the other, uh, the other area, yes, here in Canada, I'm, uh, which established the EcoSol farm. Uh, and uh, EcoSol farm will be uh, having, will be the base uh, for this network and for this uh, sharing of knowledge and, and seeds as well uh, uh, here in, uh, in, in Ontario. Uh, so uh, we will be building this and of course we need support from um, uh, different people to do this uh, especially that our experience has been in uh, in the tropics in the subtropics and not in the temperate cl climate uh, in um, but uh, established some uh, fields and some connections. We're already uh, 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 producing some seeds for some uh, small company here. Uh, so yes, it will hopefully uh, open more to, to, to more uh, network with other people and other farms uh, as the time comes. Amazing. Well, I'm... Uh... Oh, sorry. No, I'm just saying now we're just learning from the land here. Yes, absolutely. And um, that's that's incredible. I, you know, I'm so happy to have had the chance to speak with you and I look forward to, you know, definitely continuing to build relationships with you and, and what you're what you're doing both here in Canada and in Guatemala. And I'm super stoked for you. I, you know, I think you're you're inspiring people all over the world. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Okay, thank you, Jen. And we will be in contact. Uh -huh. For sure. Thanks for joining us on the Regenerate podcast. If you're interested in checking out more of our content, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, you can also visit us on YouTube at Regenerate Co. You can send us an email, regenerateco at gmail.com. And if you're interested in connecting with me, Jenna, the host, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Jenna Thornburg. So thanks for joining us.